0: So today's podcast is of my last radio show, and I'm speaking right now with my production, actually, the whole Savage team. We don't have to mention them by name because I think they'd rather remain anonymous for now. And we're talking about what to do in 2022. And they were having me reflect on radio and my years in radio and how much more dynamic it was than podcasting, as Karen said, because you had an audience, I said, well, where was the audience? There was no live audience. She said, well, there was the producer on the other side of the screen in radio. Yes. In the early days, they would react to you. Some of them were very reactive. Many of them weren't. You had people walking by in the halls of the radio station. But most importantly, in radio, I had the callers and I had a unique ability. I guess everyone in talk radio who does it a while envisions the audience out there. And then we had some regular callers who we knew. I learned something in the first weeks of radio, which is never have regulars on. It'll kill a show. My program director said, don't use regulars. So we try to avoid it. But I envisioned them. I had a core audience of like five different type of people in my head. You know, there was Bill in Brooklyn and there was Sarah in Denver and there was uh, Harry and Sally in Los Angeles. They're one person, by the way. And then there was Frankenstein in San Francisco. And I was talking to them every day. And I wanted to know how Frekenstein was uh, responding to what I was saying. And I said, I wonder what Harry and Sally think in LA, you know, on and on. But I did. I do miss that. As much as I love the podcast, I do miss live radio. However, I just want to say this to everyone listening, because you're listening to my last radio show is what you're going to hear today. Some days I want to do radio again. Remember, it was a long period of time. I began when I was quite on in years. I mean, I'm not an old guy. I'm kind of, but I am and I'm not. I mean, it was my fourth career, and I had three other careers. I was 52 years old when I started radio. You know how long that is to have another career at that age and then go to the top of your field? So it's it's in my rearview mirror. Every time I wake up and say I want to do radio today, another thought comes to me, and the thought is, Michael, that's in your rearview mirror. You now do podcasts, and you do three Newsmax TV shows a week, You're writing a new book, which you're not going to talk about today because you'll be accused of promoting your book. But I'm writing a new book, the last big blast out book for the uh, coming midterm elections. It's going to be astounding. It'll be my legacy book. I'm doing all I want to do and can do. And I would be remiss not to say to you, and I don't want to pull people's heartstrings. I suffered a heart attack two years ago, this December 5th, which altered my life. Now you can be an idiot and keep going like nothing happened to you and crash into a stonewall and drop dead. It can happen anyway. But everyone adjusts after they get sick. Everyone listening to the show has either had a major illness or minor illnesses, and you know, you learn from them, and it makes you adjust your mindset. So I learned to stop flying at such a high altitude and at such a high speed. And so my podcast and my TV shows and my writings and just dealing with life's stresses themselves and the whole thing about mortality is all I want to do. So what you're about to hear today is the old days of Michael Savage. Michael Savage's last radio show. And I hope you enjoy every last millisecond. Tick, tick, tock. Fire away, Doug. Radio revolutionized America. Welcome to the Savage Nation. This is the last and final terrestrial radio broadcast of this program. Now, I want to say some thank yous to begin with. I want to thank the listeners, number one. Without you, there'd be no radio for me or anybody else. I want to thank all the program directors who took a chance with me and stood up to the corporate empty skirts and kept airing the show despite great pressure to drop this show. I want to thank my family who watched the destructive forces. Uh, Let's leave it at that. I hope we did some good this past century. I really do. Radio, as I said, revolutionized America. And I hope we've done some good. We began with the Paul Revere Society back in 1994 when I was a local host on KSFO. I used to call them compassionate conservative conventions. George Bush then ripped off compassionate conservative and ran on it and won. Sound familiar? Politicians listening to radio talk show hosts and becoming president. Or senators well the Paul Revere Society meetings many of which you had been to the local people kick-started the conservative revolution conservative conventions called compassionate conservative conventions back in the 90s we rallied for propositions 187 and 209 unfortunately we were not successful in overturning one rotten stinking communist judge Delton Henderson he overturned four million votes Former lawyer for the ACLU became a rotten, stinking filth in a black robe, and he overrode our votes. That's the country you've been living in. I worked across the aisle with Senator Chuck Schumer to get the Dubai ports deal stopped. We donated money toward the legal defense of U.S. Marines falsely accused of murdering civilians in Aditha, Iraq, especially by that vile Senator Durbin. Now we have given money to defending bears up in Tahoe as well as the current anti-arctic oil lease program that we're trying to stop. In November of 2014, this program helped reunite a wounded soldier with his canine partner from Iraq and we gave him money to buy a brand new SUV or a van and he sailed off into the sunset. We sent $50,000 to aid in the defense of 1st Lieutenant Michael Behenna. We were the first to do it. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison. They said he murdered an alleged terrorist, Ali Mansur Mohammed, while he served in Iraq with the 101st Airborne in 2008. We knew he didn't kill him. Savage, meaning me, had previously given 50 grand to Behenna's defense from the Savage Legal Defense Fund and my own personal money. In July of 2015, we announced the five winners of an essay contest based on the question, what does it mean to be an American? Five college students received $20,000 each over a two-year period, totaling $100,000 for my own funds. In 2016, named as an inductee to the National Radio Hall of Fame, still there, and in 2015 and 2016, by having Donald Trump on the show numerous times, you and I helped Donald Trump become president. A December 2017, Huffington Post article quotes Savage regarding Trump's revoking an Obama-era trophy hunting ban. Longtime animal activist Michael Savage implored the president to reconsider. 2020, Savage appointed by President Trump to the board of the Presidio Trust. A great honor and great work needs to be done. Savage was the first and only talk show host in January of last year, of this year actually, warning to stop travelers from China over COVID-19. I said it in January. Trump did it in February. No one else in the radio business did it. Now, over the years, my radio broadcasts evolved from strictly politics to commenting on other topics. And here we are today on The Savage Nation, the last show of a long and wonderful career. Radio has been very, very good to me. Really good to me and radio as I said revolutionized America, and I'm thanking the listeners number one Because never forget No matter who's in radio no matter who you listen to without you. They'd have nothing but two Dixie cups and a string. They'd be nothing They may blow themselves up and think that they're bigger than God But without you the listener the humble listener the unknown listener the silent listener Sitting there in your car in your house or on your iPhone now There would be no talk radio So as I say, radio revolutionized America and podcasts are the new evolution in America. And we'll talk about that at the end as I say goodbye to this career and hello to another. I want to thank you today, my fans, my friends, my family for your support. And I hope you join me in supporting my next evolution in the podcast world. I'm reminded of the poem If by Rudyard Kipling, which I quoted very extensively in the early years of the show. I'm gonna read you one stanza. I had recommended at that time that you copy this poem down and you play it for your daughter or your son because they're gonna face the same thing that we're facing today. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. Boy, what a great stanza, 1909, can you believe it? If you ever read what happened to Rudyard Kipling, your hair will stand up what they did to him because he was a nationalist. The very same communist forces, socialist forces that are at work right now were at work then, long before the Bolshevik Revolution. They tried to disappear Rudyard Kipling because he was too much of a nationalist. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies or being hated, don't give way to hating. Does that ever tell you anything about social media, the vermin on the social media? You can't give into it. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone. And so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. Here's a great line if you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings and not lose the common touch to me that would be fly with the president no lose the common touch treat them all the same whether they are a peasant or a president they're all human beings and so are we if you can do all of this my friend yours is the earth and everything that's in it and which is more you'll be a man my son. Read it to your children. One of the great poems of all time. This is the Savage Nation. We want to hear from you because as I mentioned to you over the last few weeks, on this final broadcast, which is going to be part of radio history because I'm sending it to the National Radio Hall of Fame to include in my archives, anyone who gets on the show will be memorialized in this broadcast. And I know I can't reach all of you, I would like to have every last one of you get on the air today. I can't do it, but I'm going to start with the callers in the order in which they have appeared. We're going to begin in California with Elizabeth on line one. Go ahead, please, make it as quick as you can. Thank you, Elizabeth.
1: Thank you, Elizabeth. Dr. Savage, I shan't give you a litany of all that you've brought to my life, but just accept that I'm grateful beyond measure, and I want to thank you for being a man in the true sense of the word and a very fine one. I am so in awe of your intelligence and your heart and your style and your grace, but if I could describe what you've done for me in two words, it would be faith and respect. You've bridged Christianity and Judaism for me, but the greatest gift, as I say, that you've you've given to all of us who've heard you is modeling the importance and necessity of respect. And if I could, I'd have you lead the Department of Education. Your influence needs to hit Everything from the fat-fannied exhibitionist and her clan with a K right down to every newborn. And I, I want to thank you for every gift you have given me, everything you have brought to my life. I hope you stay well. I build my day going forward around your podcast. I wish God's blessings upon you and that he keeps you well so that you will continue in my life until the end of my life. And I don't know how to thank you, and I can't convey everything you mean to me, but I've been a talk radio aficionado for like 40 years. I haven't had television, and I've listened to a lot of hosts. You are my favorite, and I love you from the bottom of my heart, and I'm so grateful to you. Thank you.
0: Well, I would like to say something. There's nothing you could say with a call like that. All I can say is thank God there are tissues nearby because even the producers, as hard-nosed as they are, are sitting there sniffling in the studio over there in Dallas. Elizabeth, thank you very much for those beautiful, touching words. Now let's jump down to Bakersfield, California. Justin, line seven, you're on the Savage Nation. Go ahead, please.
1: Hey, what's going
2: on, Michael? Hey, my name's Justin. I was out here in uh, Bakersfield, California. Used to be liberal, didn't really, you know, do the, the whole talk show thing or, you know, politics. And I worked with this guy, and he was like, oh, dude, you, got, you, I, you can't believe you, you know, believe in all that, you know, stupid stuff that you hear on the news and stuff. And I said, what are you talking about? And he showed me your show, and you've just been the voice of reason, man. Me and him call each other Schmindricks and Schmindels now.
0: (laughs) Justin, thank you very much for that. Now, of course, because this is a wonderful um, commercial broadcast, we have advertisers, and I'm going to have to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we'll continue with the callers. We have a very special guest next hour. That would be my son, Russ, will be joining us. Many people said, please get Russ on the show. He'll be here at the bottom of the uh, middle of the next show, middle of the hour, not the first hour. We have other special things planned for you, including something that that really moved me, knocked me out of my chair this morning. And this is a very, very special day. We're making history together. If you'd like to visit michaelsavage.com, please do so and see what we have accomplished over a quarter of a century. I can't believe when i say a quarter of a century when i say a quarter of a century it's like someone else what do you mean how could it be a quarter of a century when i just began this show yesterday 1994 was the blink of an eye well it wasn't the blink of an eye it was 26 years ago this march this was my fourth career not my first and here we are a quarter of a century later and many of you have asked me they say michael We listen to you on the radio. We don't know how to get podcasts. We're older people. How do we get a podcast? How do we do it? It's as simple as this. You go to michaelsavage.com on your browser. Type in michaelsavage.com and we have a radio player, which will play all the podcasts right there. You don't have to go to Apple. You don't have to go to Spotify. You can, but it links up with one of those players. All you got to do is download michaelsavage.com. And that's how you get the podcast, and you play it wherever you are. I'll be right back. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Welcome back to the Savage Nation. This is the last broadcast. It's like the last picture show, sort of. One of the topics that I'm interested in is... Uh, illness, disease, immigrants and epidemics, epidemiology. I've been very interested in that. And although today is a special day in radio where I'm saying goodbye and saying hello, I'll tell you something that's been rattling around in my brain for the last few days, which is why are so many people dying of different ethnic groups at such high rates? And I'm going to go into this in detail Friday on the first podcast and on Monday, the second, really first podcast, Monday. I try to look up deaths by race and ethnicity and try to ask myself why, because the epidemiologist in me started to say, wait a minute, there must be some ethnic reason. Yeah, of course, there's the lifestyle as well, living in crowded communities. That's not the only reason that, for example, black Americans are dying at a very high rate. Native Americans are dying at a very high rate. Pacific Islanders are dying at a very high rate okay why why well you say well it's lifestyle you know the poor people live in crowded that's not the only reason and so my mind started to work on making believe I was back in science what would I follow up and what I follow up is well we hear that the underlying conditions like diabetes or heart disease are related to dying from COVID-19 so again the scientist to me said well why It's not just the diabetes or the heart disease. It may be the medications that people are on that is making COVID-19 more fatal. And of course, I turned out to be right. I already found the answer to the question. In just a few minutes of using intuition and doing some quick searches, I found the answers to these questions. I don't even think the doctors know this yet. There are drugs that are being used to treat diabetes and heart disease that are actually contributing to worsening covid-19 perhaps resulting in fatalities again you'd expect this from that putz dr faustus but no dr faustus is too busy getting his new brioni suit uh of the day to appear on yet another show in a smarmy manner thinking he's gonna be the next uh, louis pasteur They're not thinkers, these people. They're nothing but showmen. And I'm telling you that tomorrow's podcast and Monday's podcast is going to be worth the price of admission, which is free. By the way, my podcasts are free. There's no cost.
1: The Savage Nation. It's savage on demand. There's a drive, it's a deep right field. That ball is going. The USA, in your Chevrolet, America is asking you to call, drive your Chevrolet through the USA. Oh, we're the men
0: of Texaco, we work from Maine to Mexico, there's nothing like this Texaco of ours. We're the merry Texaco men, tonight we may be showmen, tomorrow we'll be servicing your cars. The Green Hornet. He hunts the biggest of all game, public enemies that even the G-Men cannot reach, the Green Hornet. A fiery horse with a speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty,
1: high old silver. The Lone Ranger.
0: Michael Savage. Listen up today because today is going to be a masterpiece of outrage. Michael Savage started his national talk show. And now, direct from the towers above Manhattan, it's the Michael Savage Show. To the right of Rush and to the left of God. And now, Michael Savage. I'm glad I can be with you seven nights a week because these things, these stories are just not going away. I mean, every day in every way we're getting assaulted. Communicating a simple message, borders, language, and culture. He changed the landscape of talk radio, rising to the top of the pack. What about our nation? You're going to let them become citizens, even though they're illegal, even though they broke the law? You know that many of them are on our welfare system. You know many more will go on. And you're going to tell me you're worried more about El Salvador and about the San Salvador than you are about America? I said, by definition, you ought to be deported. This was not cookie-cutter radio. This was something different. From catcher in the rye to catch up on the fly in two generations. Starlets to harlots, preachers to breachers, athletes to sexlets, rabbis to sandflies, boy scouts to toy scouts, girl scouts to twirl scouts, from the eagle to the beagle in two generations. From LSD to ADD. So influential, even the liberal media named him the godfather of Trumpomania. Donald Trump used the savage nation as a sounding board. What would you do if you were president first day what would you do with Putin to stop this these war drums?
2: If I win on November 8th, I think I could see myself meeting with Putin and meeting with Russia prior to the start of the administration. I think it would be Wow.
0: We- that's an amazing that's an amazing news story. That's fabulous, Mr. Trump. That's an amazing answer. Because somebody, an adult, has to step in now and stop this, uh, this insanity. Resulting in the election of a president of the United States, Michael Savage, member of the National Radio Hall of Fame. Very moving, amazing production. It's a going-away gift. It's beautiful. You know, this is a medium about sound, and boy, oh boy, they went back and caught stuff from even the, the demo tape. I couldn't believe it. I got to say this, though, about myself. I am the eternal pessimist. I always expect the worst and have never been disappointed. Now, I ran that by the guys before, and they laughed. I said, did I make that up? They said, I don't know. I never read it anywhere. I think you did. You've been saying it off and on for years. But it's absolutely true. If you think about your life, if you live long enough, you will never, ever be disappointed in your pessimism. It will always turn out to be true. And so I know that many people like to follow the the modus operandi of make it happy, keep it happy, keep it uplifting. I don't know. It doesn't work for me, even though I have kind of a there's a sense of humor underneath all the darkness. Don't you think? But it's the darkness that drives the humor is what you sense. That's why you've been drawn to this broadcast, because the darkness that I feel in my soul about existence, you feel yourself. Talk radio listeners are very unique in the landscape of the media. There's crossover, of course. You, know, you watch movies, you watch television. You go to the theater when it was open, and that's sports and everything. But talk radio fanatics, I think, are very unique in, in, in the geography of listeners or viewers, audiences. I think talk radio listeners are very introspective. Talk radio listeners are generally pessimistic about life and about things. And it's easy to feed into that and tell you how bad things are. That's a mistake. I've done enough of it in my career. I'll tell you that right now. But if that's all that I would do, then I'm failing you. And I want to tell you again, you'll never be disappointed in fearing the worst. (laughs) Never. Especially with Biden-Harris coming in. Whatever you fear will happen, only worse. Magnify it magnify it put a magnifying glass on the figures about the biden harris administration because that's what's coming i just got this from a good friend of mine we'll call him anonymous captain phil great friend of mine more than anything a friend great friend but i've looked up to him for years because he is a green beret vietnam era paratrooper bronze medal silver star still carries shrapnel on his body from your friends in vietnam but more than that, he's a wonderful father and a great husband. And he said, Michael, listening to your last broadcast today, fabulous as ever, that lady who told you she looks to you for guidance and you fill up her life, you have millions out there like that. You're going to be so successful on the podcast medium. You've demonstrated as one door closes, another opens. Like Lon Cheney, we ought to call you the man of many doors. God bless you, my friend, Phil. It's very nice. I've heard from nobody in the media medium. In the medium of radio, nobody. In the medium of television, nobody. In the medium of broad of r- r- journalism, one person. One person. Only one person. Now, I want you to think about this. Do you realize how significant this show is and has been? Do you have any idea the significance of this show? You know it has been. And so you would think there'd be people interested in the show. How do you feel? Well, there's only been one. It just shows you how controlled the media is, and the fault lines of self-interest and financial uh, trails that lead to this downturn, you would think someone on Fox News would say, they have pimps on Fox News, don't they? Drug dealers, pimps, rapists, murderers on Fox News, you'd think they'd have a talk show host through revolutionized radio? You would think, but apparently the fault lines are such And the financial interests are such that they're not interested but I'm interested in you the audience and so again we all have to remember one thing radio has been very good to me and I hope I've been very good for radio in America that's the main thing that I want you to remember today radio has been very very good to me I can't even get that personal about it this was my fourth career or my third career I've been knocked to the gutter by affirmative action several times and bounced myself back up because the social engineers had already said white males need not apply. Now, remember, I'm not an ordinary white male, an almost straight-A average from UC Berkeley, two prior master's degrees, six or seven books published. I can go down the list, but they wouldn't hire me in the universities. They needed certain people to fill certain quotas, you see. And many of you understand that because you're going through it now. Many of you are liberals who are saying, wait a minute, that just happened to me. Yeah, that just happened to you because of you. That's because you catered to them. That's because you let the left-wing jackals lead you to believe that they were interested in compassion. They weren't interested in compassion. They were interested in acing you out of your life. They wanted to ace the white male out out of the world, out of your life, out of this country. They've erased you. Look at the ads on television. Look at what the vermin in the media have done to television. Take a look at the ads. Any white male that is shown is a loser, a wimp, a jerk, a moron, a mook. Every ad, you've been erased from the ads by the most perverted people on the planet. Yes, my friends, that's the world you're living in. It started with affirmative action in the universities, and now you are close to the next stage, the vilification prior to the elimination. So you say, well, what is there left to do? What's there left to do about fighting for survival? As Churchill said, if we have to, we'll fight him on the fields. We'll fight him in the forests. We'll fight him in the streets. We'll fight him at sea. We'll fight him in the air. Our fight for America has just begun, my friends. It hasn't just ended. It has just begun because the most racist vile administration in the history of this country is about to seize the reins of power. Now, why do I say that? Is that hyperbole? Am I just stoking the fears of the right? You could look at it that way if you're of the Antifa, Black Lives Matter uh, or, 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 uh, side. You could look at it that way. Every white man is a white nationalist to you, psychopaths. All the graves of every military cemetery with the crosses, they're all white supremacists now to you you idiots you without them you'd be you wouldn't even be here you wouldn't be walking the earth all those graves and all those military cemeteries without them you wouldn't be here you'd be speaking german or you'd be a lampshade in someone's hobby shop those are the graves what are you going to do when the vermin who have been taking down the ten commandments taking down the monuments now of lincoln can you believe this they're calling, they're calling Lincoln a racist and painting over his statue here in the sickest city in the world, San Francisco. I've called it San Francisco for years. The police should shoot anyone who defaces a statue, never mind arrest them, they should be shot. They should be shot for defacing our civilization. Did you see what happened to that couple in New York City the other day? From the vermin on the bicycles? Middle-aged white couple, man in his 50s, his mother was in her 70s or such 80s a group of uh, bicycle terrorists were on the street they call them children youths teens they surrounded the car and started banging on the windows trying to bash the windows in they tried to hurt the people in the car the mother was screaming calling 911 she was afraid they were going to kill her have you seen how the vermin in the media covered the story they called them teens teens on bicycles surround car that's the best they can do in the newspapers They're not teens, they're terrorists. They're Al-Qaeda on wheels. They're Al-Qaeda on two wheels. What would you do if you were in the car with your mother and these vermin surround you with their bicycle and start hitting your windows, banging on your hood, smashing your car with a bicycle? What are you going to do? I know what many of you would like to do, but the courts are so perverted and so twisted that the vermin know this. That's why the vermin are able to get away with this kind of Trashing and stealing and breaking windows and robbing stuff because the vermin in black robes Release them from the courts the next second to go back to the street to continue their behavior So if you think it's all pessimism or an attempt to excite the right-wing then you really are sick You ought to get a seeing eye dog and a new hearing aid if that's what you think this is This is a warning of what's coming if you don't stand up and get some spine to the vermin on the left. I'll be right back. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Welcome back to the uh, final broadcast of 25 years on The Savage Nation. i like to close this hour by saying Albert Einstein once wrote that the world is a dangerous place to live, not because of the people who are evil, but because of the people who don't do anything about it. For far too long, this has been the story of America. As you know, the Statue of Liberty is the symbol of America's independence. Today, after decades of holding up her lantern of freedom, she is covered by a very deep patina. Now, some would argue the patina and detritus are beautiful. I don't agree. The patina makes her look decadent. To me, the patina of age on Lady Liberty represents the natural progression of an unguarded nation towards neglect, corruption, and the loss of idealism. It is symbolic of what happens when a nation looks the other way while the enemy within compromises her borders language and culture. That, my friends of the savage nation, is how America the beautiful has lost her brilliance. Now, let me take some callers. We have about a minute right here. Paul, in Minnesota, you'll be the last on this hour. Fire away, please.
2: Thanks, Mike. Mike, I'm 35 now, and I never had a father. Uh, my mother was a an abusive religious fanatic that drove me away from God. I heard your first show in 2008 when I was 23 and had one foot in the grave because of all the drugs and drinking that I was doing. And the day I heard you the first time, you mentioned a guy named Martin Buber in a book that he wrote.
0: Oh, yes, I and Thou.
2: It's, yes, sir. It turned my life around. Um, wow!
0: Just, you wait, wait. You went in red eye, and Thou because of the show, and what did it do for you?
2: It 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 showed me that I was doing everything wrong, and uh, so I instead of approaching people like I should, as another eye, I approached them and uh, thinking, you know, along the lines of how can I manipulate this person? How can I use? Wow!
0: Them? So a book did that for you. That do you realize how brilliant you really are? That you could uh, that you could hear a teacher me. Your teacher. I was your teacher. I was your father voice. I said, yes. read this book. I didn't even say read the book. I told you that it affected me when I was in college. And you heard that and went and got the book. And then it changed your life from negative to positive. The power of words. The power of words and how it can affect behavior. This goes to the whole meaning of my show. If you keep feeding the left wing in this country and tell them that they're victims and that all white males are racist, they're going to burn the country to the ground. That is why the left-wing media must be stopped. Thank you for that call. Thank you for the call. You want more fire and brimstone? Maybe not today. Maybe tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Back in a minute. Home of borders. Language. Culture. The Savage Nation. Hopefully uh, I have touched all of you through my broadcast these 26 years and I hope you'll join me on my first podcast tomorrow where a 15-minute segment of a forthcoming film done by a great cinematographer who developed T-Rex for Jurassic Park uh, many, many years ago who became a friend of mine and really drew me out in this. Uh, we're calling this segment The Boy in the Basement. He just kept asking me questions about my background, how I started my father's basement, and the kind of work I did and how it shaped me today, and uh, stuff like that. So that's tomorrow's podcast. I want to go back for a moment to the election of Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. I think many of you have even forgotten it was Hillary versus Donald. I'd bet that even Trump's supporters have forgotten he was running against Hillary Clinton. So I want to go back to October and November, not with a soundbite, when I was saying to you, you've got to take a chance, even if you haven't voted in the last few elections because you've been screwed by the Republican establishment, that you vote for Bush and you got something else, blah, blah, blah. I said to you that even if we only get 10% of what Trump promises, it will be 110% better than Hillary Clinton. Do you Remember those, that line? I kept modifying it. I said, even if we only get 50%, it'll be 150% better. Then it was 10%. Because I didn't, because even if we only got 10% of what Trump promised, it would have been 110% better than Hillary Clinton. And then I look back in a book I wrote, Scorched Earth Restoring the Country After Obama. And I wrote this, I said, because this is relevant to, to Biden and Harris. Listen carefully, please. Here is what I wrote in 2014. If Hillary wins, Like her boss before, she'll be a dictatorial traitor. The fourth estate was afraid to attack a black president. Do you think it will be any better with a woman in the Oval Office? She won't have to censor the media to take control and create a state-run press. They'll do it for her. Look at the New York Times, which self-righteously proclaimed at the end of June that the GOP Benghazi Commission had found no evidence of wrongdoing by Hillary. Now, there's a slippery word. Did it mean legal wrongdoing or moral wrongdoing? It couldn't have meant the latter because the report was full of reprehensible neglect for the safety of our diplomats and undercover military on the ground. There. How, how can you think otherwise when you learn that not a single military asset was moved to the region when our compound was under assault in Benghazi? So what happens on day one of a Trump administration? The economy crushing burden of Obamacare gone. The small business crushing taxes of Obama gone. The threat of ISIS on the way out. Our porous borders sealed. As a result of those acts, the jobless rate starts to shrink. The debt shrinks, too. Well, I was wrong about that. But here's the important part of this. What happens on day one of a Hillary Clinton administration? Now, substitute Joe Biden or Harris for this. What happens on day one of a Joe Biden administration? None of the above. Did you hear me? Those things that even a kid in elementary school knows are so urgently needed do not happen under Biden. She will continue the Obama Doctrine which has determined that America will no longer exist as a sovereign nation. It's being gutted from within, not so much by political figures, but by thieves using political operatives called senators to do trade deals that are against the best interests of our nation. That's how China grew so quickly. It grew on our back. Remember when Clinton was exporting factories to China? The Chinese were buying whole factories out of the Midwest. They took every machine tool to China. You don't remember how Clinton sacked America, do you? Now, remember, this is in scorched earth, restoring the country after Obama. And it was, uh, I don't know, the year here, 2016. It's funny, the dedication was to a French scholar you never heard of, André Pigeagnol, who wrote, Roman civilization did not pass peacefully away, it was assassinated. I remember reading that and saying, holy God, it was like a lightning bolt. Roman civilization did not pass peacefully away, it was assassinated. So what else happens on day one of a Hillary Clinton administration, I wrote? Now substitute Biden. How about an energy supply disaster? Under Biden, coal and natural gas will vanish as energy sources. Hydrofracking and coal burning will be made illegal. What will we get instead? Solar and wind energy. The solar and wind companies, which contribute heavily to the Democrats, are going to get their payback. And look what happens if you don't invest in solar and wind energy. You go to jail. Businesses and private individuals who don't pay the carbon tax will go to jail and all the electronic locks in the prisons will be solar-powered And I go on about solar energy that is going to be pushed by the vermin on the left All the jobs I wrote from natural gas and coal are going to go away Along with the small businesses That will have to struggle to meet payroll after the Bernie Sanders minimum wage boost goes into effect Maybe that's part of the plan The plan for a socialist state like the one Bernie Sanders has always wanted. What do you think will happen to the price of your coffee or cheeseburger when your waitress has to make 15 bucks an hour? They'll be more expensive and you'll wait for them longer because when small businesses have to pay that minimum wage, they're going to cut staff and cut jobs. And I go on with what would have happened under uh, Hillary. But the same words apply to what will happen under Biden. Just a few more pieces, please. The new world order, I wrote, will be Maoism merged with post-9-11 Islamic Jihad. Think very carefully about what I just said. We're almost there already. Maoism merged with post-9-11 Islamic Jihad. Just listen to the words coming out of the vermin on the left. It's stronger than you could ever imagine. The leftist power brokers, and I write John Kerry, inserted Obama into the White House And now all of a sudden, just as the left is about to complete their act, along comes a billionaire, Trump, who is a nationalist, and they don't know what to do other than to smear him. They're doing to him everything they've done to everyone in the media who stood up to President Zero. They figured that we're marginal figures. We're not important. We have no power. But now a man comes along who just might save the country, might save the nation's sovereignty. And there you are, my friends. They called us deplorables, remember? What are they calling you now? They've gone, first they called all white men deplorables. Never, make any mistake about it, please. When Hillary was saying that we are deplorable, she meant white males are deplorable. All those crosses and all those military cemeteries that permitted that she-witch to get as far as she did are, were deplorable to her and her girlfriends. And now what are they calling you? White nationalist. They've gone from calling you deplorable to white nationalist. Next, they're going to call you Nazi, which they're already doing. When are you going to stand up to them and say, drop dead? Just drop dead, shut up, and get out of my face. Shut up! Don't take it anymore. I'm not Atlas, and I have shrugged. There's only so much one man can do. And as I depart the stage of radio, I pass the globe to you. The world will be on your shoulders, no longer on mine. Let's take some calls. Margie in California, line six. Go ahead. You're on the Savage Nation on the last broadcast. Go ahead, please.
1: Dr. Savage, I just consider it an honor talking to you, and I just wanted to appreciate your God-given gift. You have such a genius. You're amazing, and you have a wonderful heart. I think I'm attracted to your heart. There's a deep kindness about you that I really adore, and you make me think you make me laugh. And I just want to say, you remind me of the Old Testament prophets crying in the wilderness. Of course,
0: I'm... <laughs> <confusing>. <laughs> I'll buy that one, crying in the wilderness. That's the, maybe that's my autobiography called Crying in the Wilderness.
1: It's, um, if you're saying, look, you stupid people, turn from your wicked and evil ways, or your land will be destroyed and then after you just um, spoke, and our complacency as well.
0: Very well put, and I thank you for joining all these good people today and listening and joining the Savage Nation broadcast. You know, I'll tell you what I've been thinking about the COVID thing and its origins. Now, you know, if you've been listening to the show, I I did not think, did not, past tense, did not even dare think the Chinese did this on purpose. I wouldn't even let it enter my consciousness. I'm too much of a rationalist to believe that a nation would be that devious. But then I thought, wait a minute now, what do you mean? It's been done before. After all, this country put smallpox in the blankets of the Cherokees. I mean, you want to be real about things. War is fought on many different fronts in many different ways. War is total. War is horrible. War is absolutely horrible. The only people who want war are those who don't know what war does to people. Okay, so yeah, US military gave blankets to the Cherokees before they put them on the death march from their ancestral homeland. And uh, they said, you need warm blankets for the march. And they put smallpox germs in the blankets to kill off the Cherokee. Horrible, horrible story, horrible. It, It does not define America at all, by the way, as the left would have you believe. It's one of the blemishes of America's history. But the point of that horrible story is that nations have always used disease, if they could. Do you know the story of the catapults that threw uh, victims of the Black Plague over the walls into uh, castles to 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 defeat the uh, men defending the castles? They took people dying of the plague, put them in a catapult, and, and flung them over the walls to spread the Black Plague on the other side. So why is it not plausible, I thought, in the last few days that China created this monstrosity of a virus? I said, wait a minute, I've denied it. I said, it can't be true. It's not possible. But now I'm starting to see uh, new iterations, new mutations of COVID-19. And we don't even know if this vaccine would have worked to begin with to the extent they said it would. But let's say it would have worked you're telling me it's going to work against the new strains? Why? Because Dr. Faustus told you? Because Dr. Faustus, the phony actor, told you that with his little smirk? The pharmacist's assistant gave you the smirk that it's good against everything that, that mutates. How does he know, that jerk? How does that jackoff know that? He's not a scientist. He's a performer. He's a marionette of the pharmaceutical industry. So I'm thinking now, this morning now, for the last show, Let's say, let's take the most dire view of this epidemic, the pandemic. Let's take the, the most horrible view of it and say Chinese scientists created this virus. Say, well, wait a minute. Well, they too got affected by it. So I said, well, what are the relative rates of this disease in China and the rest of the world? Why would they decimate the whole world? Well, how are they doing? Are they doing better than the rest of the world? See, we don't really know. Have they beaten the epidemic back? What did they do? Create a virus that we in America and the West were particularly susceptible to? Did they actually get the genomes, which are readily available, of Western nations and then reverse engineer a virus? That would be unstoppable, I was thinking. Again, this is just thinking out loud. So I said, well, the only way to answer that question would be to get answers to certain questions such as, how are they doing in China? Are they dying at the same rates? Is the infection rate the same? And if they aren't, you have to say, well, why? Are they not as susceptible to this virus? And why are they not as susceptible to this virus? So I started to look into the ethnicities that were dying at a higher rate in America, for example. And I got the answers. And I told you earlier in the show, I'm going to go into this tomorrow or Monday on my first two podcasts. Because the ethnic differentials in how this disease is progressing is very different the vermin on the left would have you believe that minorities are getting more of it and dying faster because of an evil racist uh, society That's total bullcrap everything they say is about racism that's how sick and stupid they are whenever you hear people saying systemic racism you know you're listening to an idiot you're listening to a systemic racist who has a an iq of about 90 That's all I know, that's all I learned in school, systemic racism, they can hardly say the word systemic. It's too many vowels. When I see that, I write back to them and say, you seem to be the systemic racist that you're writing about, and they never answer me. All these organizations churning out the big lie. The big systemic racism in this society is against heterosexual Christian white males. I want to remember a few words. I am the only truly independent conservative voice In mainstream radio and they did not like it I was the only conservative host who could really move voters and many forces within and outside the industry wanted to silence me again I want to thank all of the listeners and all the program directors who took a chance with me and stood up to the corporate empty skirts and kept airing this show despite great great pressure to drop it for those of you who are new to podcasting and I hear people saying I don't know how to get a podcast please I don't want to lose you anymore. Please, where do I go? You go to michaelsavage.com on your computer. Type it in michaelsavage.com. And on the right side, you're going to see a very large box which says podcasts. And you click it. And we have a radio player right in the in the, in the uh, website. It's that simple. Say, well, I don't want to carry a computer around with me. I can't help that. You can do it on your iPhone too. Just take your iPhone and click on michaelsavage.com. And then click on the Savage Nation podcast. They're all there, by the way. The entire library is there for you to play for free. The podcast is free, and uh, that's what it is. Very, very good to know that there's another outlet and that radio, which has revolutionized the world, really, radio revolutionized America, never forget that, but I believe podcasts are the new evolution in the world because this has been around a while, and we all know the audiences are enormous in uh in that world and it'll be different if i get into an idea like i did today with the virus i wouldn't have had to stop for a break that's the nature of this business i would have gotten out the science papers and i would have read the different ethnic groups in america how they're affected by COVID at different rates what may explain that including the diabetes we say well underlying conditions what does that actually mean and i said to you earlier how about the drugs that people are taking for these conditions <laughs> Michael Savage, a host like no other. Welcome back to the, uh, the last picture show here, the last Savage Nation radio show in history. And as I promised you, we have a very special guest, special to me and special to many of you out there who have requested the following individual who should be given a Nobel Prize for having put up with his dad all these years. As a matter of fact, the entire family should each be given a Nobel Prize, most particularly Mrs. Savage should be given three Nobel Prizes for living with me uh, for, what is it now, quite a few years. But without further ado, I now introduce my pride and joy, someone far better than me, my son Russ. Russ, thank you for taking time out of your life to be with us today on this final broadcast.
2: Hey, Michael. Well, to everyone on the air and listening, I have the honor to be the only one in the world that can say, hello, Dad. <laughs> hello, Dad.
0: Hello, son. How are you?
2: I, I know you've been like a father to, to a lot of people that have listened to you for the last quarter century. And you really think of it, a quarter century doesn't sound like a long time. It's a very long time. Think hmm. of changes. I mean, I remember when we were together, when Obama got elected, when we were at the darkest times and felt like the world was going to end. And then when we saw Trump win and we felt like the world was going to have hope again. So we've gone from highs to lows together. And I remember back in the 90s, when you got started, I was in my 20s and we worked together creating the Paul Revere Society that started the border language and culture mm. on, you know, that led to Trump getting elected. And it took that long, 20-something years for you know that leadership across the nation to spread. And a lot of people you know, took your phrases and sayings and beliefs and it worked, but you know, the most important thing why I wanted to come on is to talk about what your show meant to me in my life. Again, I that's really what it's all about, is this person that listens, and I've heard some of the other people that have called in, have talked about what this show meant to them. And for me, it also had extreme important meaning because it led me to my path of success. If you look back in the 90s, you were friends with Maurice Cambar, the owner of Sky Vodka, a great mm-hmm. who became my mentor later in life, but... I got a job with him because you guys were friends and the guy gave me a chance. One thing led to another. I left and started rockstar on my own. And you know, that led to me basically creating a very, very, very large company that was sold this year before the pandemic hit for a great amount of money. And it never, ever, ever would have happened if you didn't start your show. And I wasn't able to, you know, be involved in politics and work with you and meet your friends and you know, everyone loved you and they wanted to help you in your life, and they helped me as well. Even some of the distributors, when we first got our shot in Northern California, it was Southern Wine and Spirits, the biggest liquor distributor in the world. And other distributors, when I came to them with the idea for Rockstar, all said no. And when I met with these guys, they liked you. They listened to you on the air. The main guy that helped me was a cranky old Korean War veteran. And he said, ah, let's give it a shot I'll Order a couple of trucks and he did it because he loved you. He was, you know, he knew you were... Who,
0: who, who was that? What was his name? He passed away recently. What was his name?
2: Ray Dembowski.
0: Ray, Ray. Tough old dude. Old school.
2: Ray. Old school. He was the kind of guy that would smoke cigarettes at break in the back, open the door to the warehouse.
0: <laughs> yeah, wire. He was a wiry old guy. I remember him. I liked him a lot, Ray. Wonderful guy. Tough as nails. And Jack. Like, like, an like an old, longshoreman type. And, and who was his boss, Jack? brennan
2: jack brennan was the guy who gave it the okay he also helped me tremendously in my life but again this is all because they liked you they believed in you therefore they believed in me it was one of those things where you know it just it just happened it was all magic it was very very rare how this all came to fruition you remember in the 90s when you started we were in northern california in the bay area marin county if you keep going to the center of a bullseye the most liberal place in the entire United States of America was Marin. <laughs> this is the, the birthplace of Feinstein, Boxer, Pelosi, uh, welfare mother, Congresswoman who, who said, I'm running for wealth for Congress because I'm on welfare. These are the kind of people that are getting elected. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Forget the local politicians. So you gave everybody hope in that area and that's why it took off so fast because nobody, there was not one conservative elected to any office in the entire Bay Area. I think it was zero, not one, nothing. So there was nowhere to, nowhere to turn. You were it. So when you started, you were a conservative in this sea of stupidity and leftism. You were the only one that people could you know, go to. And that's why you did these events where you tried to you know, stop the judge, one judge from overturning Prop 187 and 209. Thousands of people show up on the court steps. You you
0: remember when I appeared in an armored car on the steps of the federal court in downtown San Francisco and I asked the truck drivers to, I asked them to honk their horns. Many of them wanted to shut the bridges going in and out of San Francisco. I had to tell them, don't do it. It'll put me in jail. But the truckers were a big, big part of it. And they came down there. Remember that, Russ?
2: I do, I do. And you always were smart because you never let it cross the line, your show, into violence. You you always taught me, to said, never, ever, ever let it get into violence. You, it's just one of those things you'll never do, ever. And your show, you know, got the message across, but never called for violence. It was always, you know, the right thing. Everything you've said has come true, and everything you predicted has come true. So... You know, it led me back then. When let me finish this part of the story because it's so important and it's interesting to everybody. So in '90s, when you were running, when you were running your radio program, I got fired up just like a lot of listeners, and I said there has to be someone we can look up to in politics in the Bay Area, and there's literally not one person. So I said, okay, I'm going to do it. I was 28 at the time, and I'm running for state assembly in all you know two-to-one Democrat district. Everyone thought I was crazy, but I didn't care. I said, you know what, I'm only 28. Whatever happens, happens. I-, I have to do this. I can't not do it. Someone has to step up. So I remember waving my American flag to the commuters on the Golden Gate Bridge in the mornings and being flipped off. <laughs> mm. I remember other people waving. To, Good job at honking in support. I remember people at Costco, you know, when I would try to campaign out in front saying, are you Republican or Democrat? And I said, no, I'm not going to tell you. I want you to ask me. What do I think about any other, any topic you want? And people would say, no, are you Republican or Democrat? I said, I'm not going to tell you. And I said, fine, I'm a Republican. They go, ah, F off, and they walk away. So I saw firsthand how the intolerance of the left is unbelievable. Mm. So I wound Do you
0: up- remember when they put Nazi symbols on your campaign signs? Do you remember that time here in yeah. tolerant Marin County? Remember they put the swastika on your campaign signs?
2: Yeah, but, but you know what? As long as they don't hurt you physically, who cares? It doesn't matter.
0: So uh, you're, you're different than me. I take everything to heart, which is why I had a heart attack, I think.
2: No. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I take a lot to I have red hair. I take a lot to heart when I'm firing. All
0: right. So just, well, that's, that's the Scottish, uh, There's some kind of Scottish uh, Russian thing flying around there.
2: So the best news was I only won the primary, and I didn't win the general election because I would have been a a loser politician in Sacramento, and that would have been the end
0: of my career. Right. So what's good luck, what's bad luck? So because you lost, what happened next?
2: I got a job working with the owner and creator of Sky Vodka, developing new products, and I, you know, after a year or something of that, I left and started Rockstar on my own. He gave me his blessings, which was amazing, probably because he was a friend of yours, and he let me go on my way and let me use his contacts, and I, you know, created this brand that, you know, went with me investing fifty thousand dollars of my own money, just selling how, to selling.
0: How much of your own money did you put in? You 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 mortgaged your condo, didn't you?
2: I did fifty thousand dollars. Started Rockstar with, and I sold. You know, it. I,
0: I I gotta I gotta jump in here on your story. It's very important. People don't think that this happened by accident. You in the beginning could not find anyone to make your sixteen ounce can. You were banging your head against the stone wall. I would have given up. In fact, I said, Russ, stop, please. You're never going to find anyone to make it in a 16-ounce can. You know, I I used to be heartbroken. I said, look at my son, how hard he's worked. It's not going to happen. You never would stop. You just wouldn't stop. You were relentless until you found somebody to make a 16-ounce can in, in energy drinks. No one had ever done that. Who was that manufacturer who did that for you?
2: It was in 7-Up Modesto. The Varney family was the first facility that, that worked with me. And wow. they're a great family of third-generation, you know, independent 7-Up bottling family in Modesto. So they did it with me. I, You know, it's just all these. This is a whole another story for another day. But basically the reason why I didn't quit is because I was raised by you, who you never quit. And I watched that my <laughs> life growing up. Your struggles and how hard it was to make a buck, I saw it. And I understood what money meant. I understood what hard work meant. You know, I, I did it I, because I saw you working so hard. And Janice, my, um, my mom and your wife, you know, we were the hard work.
0: Well, me. unfortunately, we didn't inherit any money. We're not inheritance cases. We didn't inherit a fortune. We inherited, you know, we inherited good brains and an ethic of very hard work. We passed it on to you, obviously. Russ, before you go, do you care to tell a story about the lion in the cage?
2: Yes. So this is a great story, and I, I told it on Fox News, Fox Business, when I sold my company. one a really good, interesting story. So as a kid, and people don't think it's real, but it's true, and you were kind of wild. You know, I was a hippie kid with you. You were, <laughs> you were a beatnik and a poet and a writer, and you did a lot of different things, you know, not so normal, they would say. But thank God you weren't normal because what I created would never have happened. You... Took me to the zoo, I remember on an on a empty day. Took me close to the lion cage. And you kept saying, Get closer, closer. Not in the cage, obviously, but close enough. Where the lion roared and where you could basically almost feel the heat from its mouth. And you said, Now imagine a man yelling at you. If you aren't afraid of the lion, you'll never be afraid of a man yelling at you.
0: And that was I, held the- you, I held your hand and I said, Let's stand in front of the lion. And let him roar and feel. It was, it was amazing. You could feel the heat of the, of the lion's breath. And I was, You know, I lear- I lear- that was in Honolulu. I learned that from a martial artist who I casually met on the beach of, of Waikiki. St- I used to talk to strangers. And he said, why don't you take your son to the zoo? I got it from him. It just shows you what you can learn from strangers, you know.
2: Yeah, I know. And, you know, to be honest, if anyone's ever yelled at me, I laugh at them. I've never been.
0: <laughs> oh, Well, I remember hiking with you in the back of Marin County during a rainstorm when mud was falling down on the side of a cliff, and on on maybe a little, little tiny bit of six inches of soil over a raging creek below, and I said to you, never look down, remember? Remember I taught you, I used to, was very into Native American lore at the time, and I said, always look to the mountaintop, remember those days?
2: Yes, you've created someone, namely me, that really doesn't have a lot of fear, so... Thank you for making me, you know, as confident as I am in life. And it was always because I and I've told people the reason why I was so confident is that no matter what I did, my mom and my dad would always support me. Even if I did something wrong, you would take mm. my side.
0: So, I'm sorry to hear that. I guess I, should, well, I guess I should have been tough on you so you could have been a failure.
2: Yeah,
0: yes. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, just a bad piece of humor. And, Russ, I don't and, want to indulge you any longer. You and I can do this perhaps at another time in, at greater length with some more reminiscences that may be inspiration, an inspiration for some of the younger people out there who have been dying to hear how, how you started your company, what motivated you, how you kept going when things were the darkest. And maybe you'll come on the podcast in a week or so, and we'll do that. I want to thank my son, Russ, for accomplishing so much in life and being everything in the world to me. Thank you so much, Russ.
2: I love you, Dad. And I, everyone that's listened to you, their last, century quarter century actually you know we'll look back in this time and say wow we were lucky we could have Michael in our lives and I know that for sure
0: thanks Russ appreciate it very much I'll be right back Michael Savage a host like no other well we're shutting the bar down it's closing time folks And unfortunately, this is the last picture show. This is the last historical Savage Nation radio show. But then again, tomorrow is a new year and a new day and the first new podcast. And I invite you to join us. We're going to have something unique in many ways, but we're also going to have callers, believe it or not. And what we're going to do, for those of you who want to call into the podcast, you just look at michaelsavage.com or social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and each time I am doing a podcast, we're going to post a link. Now, what you got to do is link on to that link, and you get into a waiting line, and you can talk to me. That's how it's going to be, believe it or not. There's also going to be an article written by for Breitbart by Josh Klein, and he sent me an email this morning. He is the only member of the media, and I love Breitbart, I half for years, who is interested, and he said to me, this is a momentous moment. And he said, I hope I'm not too late, I'll bet... People are flooding you with requests. I said, no, Josh, you're the only one in the media who gives a damn. And he asked me these questions. He said, Michael, what can the Savage Nation look forward to in this new format? What advantages do you see in podcasting over traditional radio? Should we expect any major changes? What will the focus of Savage Nation be during the major shift in the national political landscape? And should listeners expect a heavier focus on subjects beyond the daily political grind such as religion, stories from your past, cooking, cars, philosophy, and so much more. Something only you have a unique ability to do. And I I answered those questions. Then we had a conversation uh, on the phone. It'll all be in Josh's article on Brightbot, hopefully tomorrow, which, of course, you can find at Brightbot.com. Again, for those of you who've only listened to me on the radio and a little older, you don't know what a podcast is, all you got to do is go to your computer, type in michaelsavage.com or on your iPhone, and you'll see the, the podcast will be there on the top right from now on. You'll just click on a link and that'll be the end of it, like listening to the radio on your iPhone. It's that simple. I have nothing more to add to the show. Having my son on was pretty magical for me. And hearing that from him was doubly magical for me because he has his own way of uh, talking and of thinking. One of the reasons I understood Donald Trump from the beginning is because my son has the same level of thinking as the president. And I came to understand a different way of thinking than my own through my children. Not only my son, but also it's very hard to think the way other people think, especially if you think differently than other people. And I had to learn to listen very carefully to understand how people think and come to conclusions of their own. That people are not, as my mother would say, little cardboard cutouts that you could just line up in a little toy box and have them think and say what you would like them to do. Radio has been very good to me and I hope I've been very good to radio and now I must bid radio adieu, but not to you. One door closes and new doors open. I now say goodbye to one career and hello to another. To you my fans, my friends, my family, thank you for all these years of phenomenal support and I hope you join me in my next evolution. Good night.